Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Poissarat's 2019 online course, Crazy Wisdom. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss in detail the three lowest chakras and the energies they manifest. This recording is a continuation of an earlier introductory talk that gave an overview to the topic. You can find that episode by searching for Season 3, Episode 14 in the podcast feed. The ideas in today's talk are explored in detail in Doug and Catherine's best-selling book, Wasteland to Pureland, Reflections on the Path to Awakening. If you'd like to read more about these ideas, you can visit planetdharma.com slash crazywisdom to receive a free copy of the related chapter entitled Money, Sex, and Power. And now here's today's recording. Let's take a closer look, shall we? Let's. Let's. Okay, Money. back to the first chakra. First chakra. So there are some strong archetypes that show up when we talk about money. Lucky to live with a money coach. We live with a money coach. And Deborah Price wrote a book called The Heart of Money. And so we're going to list some archetypes. We're just going to run through them quickly. There's the warrior who sets out to make money happen. The fool who thinks money just shows up. The martyr who works diligently for almost nothing. It's a common one for spiritual practitioners. The innocent who thinks someone will take care of it. The creator artist who feels they are above money. I don't need money, I'm an artiste. The victim who blames their lack of money on someone else. Yeah. The magician who understands money and how to make it, how to use it. And the tyrant who needs to be in control of the money for themselves and probably for everyone else. So when these archetypes are unconscious, they're in our shadow. And, and you need to be able to be all of these. If you're integrated, you can, you can manifest any one of these archetypes according to need and situation. That's right. And if, in there, if they're in shadow, our relationship to money can be very neurotic. In fact, when we're unconscious in any area, we are by definition neurotic. So the whole point is become more conscious. Right. So we know if we're getting very combative or very sensitive and reactionary, we know that... Fixed positions. Probably something unconscious is being triggered. To put it in a bigger perspective, the minute you try to stop the stream, you're neurotic. And so we go back to those three chakras being in flow. So the minute you try to hold it, the minute you try to nail it down, the minute you're trying to fix, the minute you're trying to keep a position. Build a dam. Build a dam. Any place where you try to find your whatever, you're being neurotic. Start trying to divert all the water somewhere else. <laughs> That's a little different. Anyway, so if you want to learn more, about these money archetypes, we refer you to Karen McAllister and Evangelist Daiva Litaus, who are money coaches. They're also Dharma practitioners, so they have that slant on it. Or Deborah Price's book. Or Deborah Price. Let's look at that second chakra. Okay, so back to second chakra, and for shorthand, we're going to talk about it in terms of sexual identity. So this is another very strong force in our psyches. There are other measures of identity, of course, occupation, social networks, uh, religion, age, race, groups, 
nationality, hobbies, there are a lot of other measures, but they tend to not to reflect the shadow as much as sexuality. Sexuality really has it on its own basis more because they're more root. It's more central to the core of our being. Sexual identity is more closely linked to our identity. And, and we can think of this in terms of when we first left our parents' home. That was often a time of our sexual identity really being central to our idea of who we were. Yes. And, and, and part of a how we individuated from our parents. Right. Who we are on our own is after you leave home a bit. And, and we include with sexual identity that our sexual identity may be to be asexual. Yeah. Right. Pube so think of this very broadly. Right. Yeah. When we're prepubescent, our, our concerns are like, who's my best friend or what group am I in or do I belong? But post-pubescence, after pubescence, of course, now the whole sexual energy comes in and that's a colossal force. It's like a tidal wave to the previous consciousness coming forward. It's pretty complicated, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Who do I have sex with? Under what conditions? Or who don't I have sex with? Or not, or with me. And why not? And yeah. why not? Who am I attracted to and why? And why who's am attracted, attracted to, to me? Who's attracted to me? Why are they attracted to me? What model do I follow? Do I follow the church? Do I follow the, the TV and the movies? What my parents say. My parents? Rock stars? Do I follow the rock stars model? Because you follow somebody's model. Like everything you do, you follow somebody's model. So sexuality is no different. Do I emulate TV stars? Social media? is like, am I getting my sexual identity from what social media tells me is right or wrong or good or fits in or doesn't? Where is this coming from? Typically, we don't take the time to reflect on it because we're busy making money. Or, or being in the grip of hormones, right? right? If, when, when you're teenagers and your brain's still forming and everything. Have you ever noticed sexual energy can sort of take over? You know, you kind of go, duh. Like, what's my name? I don't know. I don't care. One of the reasons we're so keen to address this is because it's a very strong force. I remember when I lived in the Amazon, I felt like that was while I was being celibate. And I felt like I was the only organism not having sex. <laughs> so I was like surrounded by organisms having sex in the jungle. Yeah, the jungle is rich. <laughs> so for many teens and adults, long before we discover who we are, we're having sex. We are engaged in sexual identification before we even know who we are. The average age of sexual encounter in the U.S. is 17. 17. And for most of the world, it's pretty similar. So Israel, Iceland, and Scandinavia are about a year younger, 16. And Malaysia is the oldest at 23. So when we're 16, 17, and we, we don't really know yet who we are or even who we want to be. And, and, in, and they found, right, our brains are still forming still until changing. 25, right? Yeah, up until 25, we don't know who we are. So how old are you supposed to be? Depends on your culture. Who you can or cannot have sex with? Depends on your culture. Or conditioning, right? Yeah. What is normal or abnormal? Depends on your culture. Okay. What are the terms of engagement? Depends on your culture. All this is usually defined by other adults, not by the actual people involved. So Jinjira and Alfonso are having sex. They're not in the room alone. They've got their church, their parents, their religion, their culture, the social media, their friends. They're all telling them what's on, what's off, what's right, what's wrong. Identity. The sex drive can take over. You can have no rules or too many rules. 
And once again, we're kind of going, it's that drive for those chemicals, I guess, natural chemicals, the you dopamine, the, the yeah. oxytocin, the serotonin, and yeah. the endorphins. So it's pretty simple. We just want to feel good. That's not a bad thing. And not to mention that at this age, 17, 18, sex is real secret, probably. You're probably in a culture where it's all secret. Nobody talks about it, right? So you're kind of trying to figure out all the rules and all the conditions and stuff. You can't even, you're not talking about it to anybody. You're just taking it on and trying to figure it out. And as Catherine said earlier, your brain's changing. You're like in a typhoon with a cork for a boat. It's all over the map. Right. So it's pretty challenging to feel like you know what's what with these drives, especially at that age when mm. our, our sexuality is really emerging very powerfully and we still haven't figured out how to talk about it yet at that mm. age or feel like we're not supposed to. So this really can create a very unbearable tension like, in the being. What are the signals? What are the assumptions? And what do I expect in return for sex? Do we ever talk about it? I'll have sex with you if you give me or I give you. When was the last time before you had sex you sat down and negotiated your contract? <laughs> right? okay. I expect this and this and this for my penis. And I expect this and this and this for my vagina. And if I negotiate for more of this if you want that. Anyway, we have to rework really hard to bring it out of the shadow. That's right. So it's no small wonder then that this all leads to some very questionable decisions and some sometimes some unpleasant consequences. Well, with, not sometimes. There's always some unpleasant <laughs> consequences. And when you link it, when you link it with that it's fun, it's exciting, it's desire mine, it's ecstasy, it's bliss, it's union, it's transcendent in its scope. You're playing with fire. So making it conscious, bringing it into conscious, being clear about it, having conversations about it, seeing what the shadow is doing with it. Yeah. So one of the reasons we're talking about sex so much is because we're trying to avoid having to work so hard to get from kind of secrets and you know mixed feelings and tension and anxiety and shame to this place where sex can be transcendent, right? We shouldn't have to work so hard to get from one to the other. So yes. we're trying to get everybody comfortable talking about it. Exactly. At least, at least, at the very least. And we have one more problem. Because the dose is so strong, we tend to underestimate or ignore or avoid all the other issues around it. Until down the road, when the identity is challenged on other issues about control and power and maybe resources, then all of a sudden, this dose thing that got us into it may crash because the other things are unaddressed. So if you address all these other things in the shadow, right. then the dose won't crash when you have the problems that come in a normal relationship. The dose will remain powerful. But if you're focused on the dose and you haven't dealt with these issues, then these issues are going to crash the relationship. To put it in another way, sex alone can't carry a relationship. Right. Not even really good sex. And in Sorry. so far, yes, absolutely. Not even really, really, Not really, even good really, sex. really. And if you haven't dealt with the shadow bit, then what will happen is you either end the relationship based on the other issues or the sex will stop. You'll stop having sex because all the other issues are dominating the uh, system. All right. So, in the same way that unconscious money patterns can wreak havoc in one's life, so can uh, sex, patterns sex patterns with practical calamities and emotional devastation as a result. 
So, yeah, it's funny how with sex, all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, my God, how did I get here? What happened? It just can change so quickly. So the, the key element to avoid that from happening is to just try to make as much of it conscious as possible. Easier said than done. So um, in other words, we can avoid calamities and devastation by making all of this conscious. Conscious, yes. Anyway, third chakra, control. Life functions through manipulation and control. Each one of us is always doing that. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You have to navigate our world and our life with 7 billion people in it. You're not always going to get your own way. So we have friends and our relationships are based on who are the people who we're going to get our own way with the most. Or by extension, who are the people who have the same own way I do? So my friends are the people who have my same own way and my enemies are the people who have a different own way than mine. So this defines a lot of our relations. We can also cooperate, of course. And we like to cooperate because it makes us feel good. And to feel good, we need to choose to make that choice. And choice is another form of manipulation and control. Right? We're manipulating and controlling the situation or people around us and, and ourselves. Yeah. So how do we become unconscious about the desire nature? How does that happen in the lower three Seems chakras? Seems to happen without much effort. It gets pushed <laughs> down by our parents and our culture, trained and raised and threatened to behave in very specific ways and clearly defined ways by our culture at the cost of annihilation, abandonment, being evil or going nuts. So this is where you get your four fears. It's These desires are driven underground and uh, you behave or you pay the price. And let's be clear, we're not blaming nope. anybody. You know, every parent does their best, but this is just how society works and how religion works. Is you know, a lot about everybody being able to get along and so then you need rules and you need people to behave in a certain way and there you go. And it happens by osmosis. Your parents don't sit there and give you a list of, you know, things to do and not do particularly, right? They just, you're influenced by their behavior. You're influenced by how they relate to each other, how they interact. What do they do when a sexy scene comes on TV or something? Like if they get uptight, you're going to get uptight. If they have a particular thing, then you're going to have a particular thing. None of this is talked about. Very little of it's talked about anyway. It's all just taken on into your system. And when you're so young, you're vulnerable. You don't even know you're taking this stuff on. And thus it's unconscious. So many of our fights may be about sex and money, right? An old couple friend of mine, old married couple friend of mine, students actually said the things that we fight about as couples were money, resources, how to raise the kids and sex. Shadow, shadow, shadow. But really what they're not saying and what it's really about is that all three of those fights are about control. Who controls how you raise the kids? Who controls how the money's spent? And who controls the sex? And there's a school of thought that says the person with the least desire controls the subject. The it's called the principle of least desire. And this shows up in anything. I, you give the example of food, but yeah, controlling food is a lot is very similar to controlling sex. Mm. 
So if Madeline likes to eat a certain kind of food and Carlos doesn't, he is probably going to determine where they eat. Because if Madeline wants to be with Carlos, then she has to cater to his lesser desires. And if she pushes her greater desires on him, he'll feel controlled and manipulated and he'll shut down. So the least desire controls there. In any relationship, it's not everybody has the least desire. Somebody might have the least desire for sex. Somebody else might have the least desire for food. Somebody else might have the least desire about managing the resources. So these are going to be where the fights are. The fights are going to be between least desire and most desire. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Today's episode covers ideas that Doug and Catherine explore in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland to Pure Land. The third section of the book is entitled Crazy Wisdom and covers a wide variety of topics, including the shadow, tantra, and money, sex, and power. Podcast listeners can download a free chapter from this section of the book by visiting planetdharma.com slash crazywisdom. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.